Hello, and welcome to the Violin Geek Podcast. I'm your host, Laurel Thompson, and today I'll be bringing you another interview I did recently, this time with Lisa Schneckenberger. She is a New England-based fiddler, and she recently created a course called Learning by Ear. We'll be chatting about the course. She'll be providing us some tips on how we can better use our ears when we're learning to play our instrument and just some tips for musicians in general, I think. She'll also be sharing some information about her upcoming new album. She has quite a few albums that are already out there in the world, which I hope you'll check out, but she is going into the recording studio, probably as we speak, to record a new album and she'll be chatting about that a little bit. There'll be some information about how to pre-order that and hopefully we'll get her back in the new year to share some tracks from that album. In the meantime, however, we are getting the chance to hear some clips of different favorite tracks from past releases. The intro music today that you're hearing is a song called Petronella. I'll mention the different songs included as we go along and I will have some links to them in the show notes if you wanna check them out, which I hope you will. And before we dive into our chat, I wanted to set the stage with a short paragraph from Lissa's bio. Raised in a small town in Maine, and now living in Vermont, Schneckenberger grew up with music. She began playing fiddle at the age of six, inspired by her parents' interest in folk music. In 2001, she graduated from the New England Conservatory of Music with a degree in contemporary improvisation. She has been performing and teaching music around the world ever since. If you're listening to this and not driving and you would like to go and check out her website while you listen, it is lissafiddle.com. That's L-I-S-S-A-F-I-D-D-L-E, lissafiddle.com. I will have that in the show notes. And I hope you enjoy this interview as much as I did. Let's welcome Lissa Schneckenberger. found with Mm -hmm. students that it seems like there's some where it's just after hearing something, they can repeat it back. Whereas others, it almost feels like it's just this impossible thing that will never be surmountable. So yeah, yeah. Yeah, it can feel really daunting and frustrating. Yeah. And I've had a few students who have wanted to take part in fiddle camps and they've gone and They've just gotten kind of discouraged when they find out that it's really all about being able to learn by ear. So I'm really excited for your course, and I'm wondering what inspired you to create it. Well, exactly that thing that you're talking about, basically going to fiddle camps. I mean, I've I've been teaching at different camps over the last 20 years, and before that was an attendee at many camps and just really loved that. Um, community and that way of learning. And over the years, teaching at different camps, I found that I was inevitably faced with um, many students that were really struggling and having a really hard time and not feeling like they could fit in and, you know, just feeling really frustrated with the learning environment and having to learn everything by ear. And so I actually started, oh gosh, years ago, I started teaching a specialty workshop on how to learn by ear. <laughs> and mm. I, I think I probably offered it at Maine Fiddle Camp originally, which is one of the places I teach regularly. And it just was so popular that I kept doing it every year over and over again. And 
each time I would do this workshop in person, people would come up to me at the end and say, where can we get this workshop more? Like, do, do you know, do you have, do, is there an album we could buy where we can do these exercises or is there a, a, a video or a book, anything we can take home with us so we can practice this more? And for years I had to say no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't have any, any supplemental materials at all until the pandemic hit. And then I was at home a whole bunch and um, like lots of other people, I was, figuring out what to do with myself. (laughs) And I thought, this is perfect. This is my chance. I'm going to create the video series that, you know, that it's basically an extended version of what I would teach in a, in a workshop. And it includes all the different exercises, um, the different steps um, for how to work on your ear training. And and it, it just is like a real serious crash course. Um, and I recommend people do it over a bunch of different weeks. You know, it's like 14 videos. So it's kind of built to take 14 or so weeks, but people can do it quicker or slower, or they can, they can, you know, repeat videos if they need to. It's really um, nice to have that kind of a, a video series because you can cater to your own needs. <laughs> right. You can go back over it as many times as you need to and... Absolutely. Awesome that, yeah, you saw that need there with these students asking you, okay, we, we feel more confident. And now how do we keep practicing this? And yeah, I mean, how else would you practice it? There are some, you know, YouTube videos here and there of people doing the call and response thing, but it sounds like the course is very progressive. And so maybe people that need to stick with some of the basics for longer can focus on that. I guess one thing I'm mm-hmm. wondering, since it is a video course, do you give some guidelines or what guidelines do you give for how people can kind of gauge when it's time for them to move on? I know with some of the courses that I've done, I'll get these emails. And when I sort of piece together where the person's at, it's like, whoa, they went way too fast, way too soon. <laughs> yeah. And that's the problem, you know, I'm, so, yeah. I, I mean, for this course, the best thing that I can say to folks as they're going through the video series is um, I, I have them go through each lesson until they feel really satisfied and then move on. And if they do move on a little too early, they're probably going to know it pretty quickly. They're going to know it because they're missing a lot of the questions. <laughs> like, they're going to be feeling pretty overwhelmed and it's not going to feel as satisfying. So um, you kind of have to gauge for yourself as you're going along what, what the best level is for you. And some people, I mean, in my experience so far with this course, people are easily, easily pretty easily able to do that um, just from feeling like, is this a good challenge or am I completely one on 100% overwhelmed and, um, you know, do I need to go back over the last video or am I like a little bit, bored? Is this easy? Am I ready to move on? That's, it's, a, it's a good self-assessment. That, those are great reminders. Yeah. Like, do we feel comfortable? Do we feel, like you said, kind of bored with this part now? Then it's time to move on. Yeah. I find that as, as simple as that sounds, a lot of times we can all forget and we want to play faster and we want to overcome <laughs> that next hurdle and, you know, get as good as the person we saw at the mm-hmm. fiddle camp who was sitting next to us or whatever. So yeah, do we feel comfortable in our bodies? Can we, you know, take it in and we don't feel overwhelmed? That's yeah. Yep. Or am I, <laughs> or even like, am I enjoying this right now? Yeah. <laughs> like, 
because I think at least all, all the students, most of the students that I have taught over the years really do have a, a big goals and high expectations of themselves. And so it is really pretty natural to kind of want to push yourself ahead and to, to kind of just like to tell yourself, I should be doing X, Y, Z, or I should be at this level by now. But, um, you know, coulda, woulda, shoulda, <laughs> you got to pay attention to where you are and enjoy and, and enjoy, the pr- enjoy the process as best you can. Yeah. Enjoy the journey. There's never thankfully going to be a day when we go like, okay, I've mastered this. Okay. Now what do I do with my life? Right. <laughs> right. How no more, no be? more violin, <laughs> no more fiddle. I've done that. You know, <laughs> it's one of those things that can stick with us forever. And there's still something that we can learn, which is amazing. So I understand that there are three fiddle tunes that we're going to learn by ear through the course, as well as Mm -hmm. you talk about in one of your videos, ear training involves the need to hear, remember, and duplicate, as well as, Mm. you know, doing that with both melodic and rhythmic elements. So maybe let's dive in a little bit deeper and just tell us about where the course starts and or where you would have someone start who's never done any learning by ear before yeah well so as you guessed or you were mentioning earlier it is fairly cumulative the beginning video the very first couple of um lessons for the course are super 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 basic and we start by actually making everything as uh simple as possible but by just doing one thing at a time which surprises people right because we always have high expectations of, of, of ourselves and we're like oh i can do that that should be easy but so in the course, I break it down to, to listening and responding to just rhythmic information for a little while and then pitch information. So we separate those two out, whereas in a normal, say, fiddle camp or, or traditional tune setting, you would be getting all of that all at once in a big phrase. Um, and so for the beginning few lessons, we really do just rhythm and, and then just pitch exercises separately. And we also do, rather than a full phrase of a melody, we will do one note at a time. And, and so the very, very first pitch exercise is not even um, duplicating a specific pitch. It's just talking about a pitch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's talking about and like listening and observing intervals and thinking about like, you know, how high, is that higher or lower? Is that higher by a lot or a little? It's, it's just kind of evaluating um, because that's something that people learn to do very, very quickly without even thinking about it when they are learning a tune. You're really thinking about the each pitch within the context of the other pitches. It's all about relationships. And so the very, very first most basic exercise is just about observing and thinking about and evaluating the note relationships that you're hearing. And um, it can be a good intro or welcome exercise because it's, um, well, because it's not, there's no really no right or wrong answer. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, with, within a certain, you know, to a, to a, to a certain degree, um, the it's all relative and it's really just about, conversation, right? It's all about like talking about the the things that you're hearing and, and checking in and sort of thinking about things rather than just knowing the right answer immediately. 
Um, So so that can be a little bit more welcoming than jumping into like, here's this whole eight part, go. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And that's what's so overwhelming when they get to the fiddle camp and it's all of that stuff all thrown together. And it seems like most of the people have done this before. And that's wonderful that you are picking it apart so thoroughly because I think especially when we are teachers and it, you know, this music thing came pretty naturally to us and we got to this point where we're professional, we might forget that we ever had to learn that, that this pitch is higher than that pitch and by how much. Mm -hmm. And, and even, you know, did we even think about that process? Is this a tiny step up or a big jump up? Right. And so then we're looking at this student and we're like, why aren't you getting this? (laughs) But... (laughs) Yeah, just taking it back to, okay, here's one note, here's another note, is that higher or lower? Um, That's a big piece of learning that we need to accomplish before we could ever feel like we would have success with learning an actual tune by ear. For sure. And it's also important to to say or to think, to to recognize that everybody, every human has a different set of strengths and weaknesses and different skill sets. So some people are able to learn by ear very naturally and they, and it comes pretty quickly to them and they don't have to really think through all those many, many steps that, um, that, that, that other people might need to really learn and think about. And no matter what your strengths and weaknesses are, um, you, everyone has some things that they're good at and some things that they're not as good at, but thank goodness you can work on the things that you're not as good at. So like, for me, I found reading music was an ex- a monumental challenge, and I had to learn to break that down for myself, and it took me a very long time. I had to work on it diligently day in and day out, and, um, and a lot of that learning process, um, I've, I've ended up kind of bringing into the Learning by Ear course because I, I recognize what it's like to be completely completely overwhelmed mm-hmm. <laughs> and confused and like let's break it down smaller nope even smaller than that let's go even farther back <laughs> wonderful so we can get into some tips for some different challenges but maybe even before sort of diving into the course what skills both on and off the violin would you maybe recommend to help support ear training well, so there are a lot of things that people can do to kind of support themselves as they learn. Um, for example, um, practicing active listening as opposed to passive listening. So, so that means like when you listen to a piece of music, really pay attention to it as you are hearing it. Listen to um, how many parts it has. Is it fast or slow? Do you like it? Do you not like it? Which, you know, is, are there lyrics? What, what are the words to the, what's the story that, that goes with the song? Like all of those will really, really help you, help you if you get into the habit of being a active listener over time, you are going to be so much more agile when then you go to learn music on your own instrument. And that can be a really, really good, important support for yourself. Yeah, and also even singing along with music. That's another way of, of being an active listener is actually singing along with your favorite music because when you're singing, you are internalizing how the melody works, where are, where are the patterns, what are the repetitions, um, you know, what, 
what parts come back around again. That's a really, really important step for developing your ear as well. Definitely. I think we can forget sometimes that music, as much as we want to make music, it's also, especially on an instrument like the violin, where we're finding each pitch and getting it into tune with our ear, uh, that it really starts with that listening. And can we hear it in our head? Can we imagine what it's supposed to sound like? So yeah, really important reminders. Yeah, I mean, music is sound. You got yeah, you got to listen to it and enjoy it um, as much as you can. It's a it's a huge part of learning an instrument. A really important part. Yeah, I always enjoyed, of course, listening to the violin part in an, in a recording. But I remember sort of a breakthrough at some point when I started listening to the other instruments specifically as well. Like, let's just listen to the bass. Let's just listen to the piano or some other instrument. And then reflecting off of that, you know, I could still hear the violin there, but it almost became in the background. And then I could suddenly hear, hear harmony and the structure and the chords underneath better. And so just all of that, what you're saying, like this more active listening where we're really getting into it and not just letting it wash over us as nice as that can feel, mm-hmm, but really mm-hmm. trying to figure out how all of the pieces work together. Yep. Yeah. When you start listening for all those different layers, it becomes such a rich, colorful tapestry. It's just truly, really fun. <laughs> In fact, actually with my private students, when I teach more advanced students privately, I um, will often do ear training uh, work where we are learning maybe transcribing, but at least certainly um, learning very in great detail um, pieces and parts from other instruments um, that that my student might not necessarily play. So like if I'm teaching a fiddle player, I will have them go learn a guitar part and match it and somehow duplicate it as best they can on their fiddle, which is a huge challenge, both with ear training, but also it becomes a pretty big technical exercise too, which is pretty cool. And then of course it helps exercise that muscle where you're listening to all the different parts of a piece of music at the same time. That's wonderful. Yeah. It's interesting how, at least for my ear, it's like if I hear a violin, I can pretty much instantly know without even picking up my instrument where those notes are. It's like, oh yeah, that's an A, that's a C sharp, whatever. But if it's some other instrument, it's like the timbre Mm -hmm. of that other instrument, then it's, I can still find it pretty quickly, but I have to have my violin like in my hand. If someone just plunks a piano key, it's like, I have a range (laughs) that I can imagine where that might be. So that's really interesting. And then um, you know, different instruments, like you're saying, transcribing a, a guitar part, uh, the strings, they're not necessarily in fifths, maybe on another instrument or a clarinet part, you know, it's a completely different way that pr- we produce sound. So trying to emulate that and some lines might be more difficult to play on one instrument versus the other, right? Just because of the layout of the instrument or... Yep or exactly. how the articulations work or whatever. So that is a very good exercise. Mm, yeah, it's, it's really fun. It can be really hard, but really fruitful. <laughs> <laughs> really, really fun once you, once you get into it. Um, and what you're saying is true for me too, and it's such a great uh, reminder of how practice really works. Like just think, you know, if you are able to tell 
the notes on your main instrument for just from hearing them without even holding your own instrument in the air. That's, that's proof that really repetition really, really helps. Think of all, you know, all the many, 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 many more hours you've listened to violin as opposed to trumpet or whatever. Right. right. And that can be really comforting to someone who is just starting out and is still struggling with that because it's, it's proof like, Oh yeah. When you put in the hours, you really can get better at something. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, somehow the brain maps it all out and it doesn't have to feel like we're starting from scratch every time. And and it's just Mm -hmm. so gratifying to see their faces sort of light up when they do start to land on the right note the first time instead of going fishing for it, you know. So yeah, it, it definitely, it definitely works. There was a fair maiden far crossed in love, far crossed in love as a girl. Nothing could she find but to ease her fair mind, then to stray all along the seashore. Stray all along the seashore. There was a sea captain plowing the deep, plowing the deep as a girl. Nothing could he find but to ease his sad mind, then to sail all along the seashore. Sail all along the seashore. Oh, I've got silver and I've got gold. And I've got costly wear. I'm wondering if you have any particular tips for students with rhythm challenges. I mean, this is another thing where it seems like some students clap a rhythm to them. They can clap it right back perfectly the first time, whereas others... They get maybe kind of even caught up in how many times did she even clap? I couldn't count fast enough or, you know, yeah. kind of in the details and they get really flustered very fast. I've seen that happen. Yeah, rhythm is challenging and it's challenging for a lot of people. So it's a good thing. It's a really good thing to focus on and to talk about. I guess it's worth saying for folks that are struggling that there's always a lot of value in finding a guide, a teacher or a coach or a practice buddy. Having feedback can be very, very helpful um, when you're, you know, when you're working on a particular musical skill like rhythm. And so, um, you know, I mean, in a positive way, feedback in in a constructive way is is super, super helpful. Um, But also um, if, if that, is not available to you, uh, breaking things down into smaller pieces is kind of like my, my guiding rule, no matter what. So if it is confusing or overwhelming or challenging to say, repeat back, uh, four different claps in a particular rhythm, try two or try literally one. Like it's, it's okay to just break it into as small of a piece as, as you need. You don't have to do like 12 bars of a repetitive pattern right, right off the bat. <laughs> In my experience with live workshops, um, when we're, we're doing call and response rhythms, I do an exercise all the time where we will do a call and response to like one measure's worth of uh, say four, four times. And a lot, it's very, very common. Most people are able to hear and duplicate, you know, four quarter notes right away without losing any time. And so that's a pretty great space or that's a great spot for lots of people to start. Um, And then from there, you can mix in um, different 
patterns of eighth notes and quarters or sixteenths and eighths and then half notes. And I'd say the majority of the uh, traditional musicians that I work with get more challenged by dotted rhythms or um, triplets, anything that is not just generic duplet, uh, duple or symmetrical rhythm. Um, so that's the more more challenging stuff that um, that is helpful to have a guide for. Yeah, find find the level that works for you, and do not be afraid to work on that level. There's no there's no expectations of where you're supposed to be. There's no supposed to. You can be wherever you are. <laughs> take it from there. Yes. <laughs> yep. Exactly. Yeah. <clears throat> well, that makes perfect sense. That it would be more difficult once things start to get a little bit more varied within a rhythm or longer within a rhythm or. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And longer passages of, are more difficult also. Like most of the beginning workshops or beginning exercises I do are really just a measure's worth of rhythm. So pretty short bit of, of information. And that really helps it be less overwhelming. Great. What about kind of similar to this? Uh, I noticed that you're using the metronome a lot, and a lot of people are really afraid of the metronome. <laughs> so, how do <laughs> yeah. you first approach that with people? It's funny. I'm not like a, I personally love the metronome. I feel like it is one of my favorite modern inventions. It is such <laughs> a helpful tool. It, it's something I use every day in my own practicing, and it's because I know, I recognize that I, have challenges with being rhythmically accurate. And I play a style of music where rhythmic accuracy is extremely important. And, um, and so it's something that I just know about myself and I always want to work on pretty much all the time. Um, now I'm not a stickler. It depends on the student. Like there are some people that, um, if you make them play with a metronome right away, they are just going to be so stressed out or so, uh, you know, it's, it's just going to be so difficult or annoying or frustrating or challenging for them that, um, that it will get in the way of their enjoyment of their practicing. And so I never want to do that. I always want to, to focus first and foremost on people enjoying music <laughs> wherever they are, whenever they're playing and, and yeah. enjoying it so much that it encourages more practicing and more playing time um, between sessions or between lessons. So, um, however, <laughs> there are lots of people that definitely benefit from the metronome and, um, and I, and I'm always um, encouraging people to, to, to use it more as long as they are, um, you know, as long as it's, continues to be fun for them. And if it's, if it isn't fun, there's probably something interesting there to discover, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? That's like a good way to if put someone, it. like if someone loathes their metronome, 
it, 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 it would be an interesting area of study. And maybe if they, maybe if they really dove into what that feeling was about or why they hate it, that would be potentially a really amazing area of growth. Um, so, so there's lots, there's lots of things to learn from the metronome, <laughs> rhythmically and philosophically and like social emotionally. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I mean, I find for myself, I start to really think about, okay, we really need to get some metronome work happening with this person when they start to get to the point where they're good enough, where they could play with someone else or join a little sure. group or join the youth orchestra or the community orchestra or something and I'm like, okay. And it is difficult. You know, I appreciate you saying that you want people first and foremost to enjoy music. And if it's going to be a deterrent to that and they're going to quit or something, you know, let's not <laughs> yeah. throw the metronome at them just yet. Um, because it is difficult. I found it difficult. And, you know, these moments where, where I'm having this, you know, kind of, I'm on a walk or something and I'm thinking, Oh gosh, am I a terrible teacher for not forcing this person to use the metronome? But it's like, there's a timing to that. I do feel like it can just be one of those things that shows us kind of where that, you know, even if we have our own internal beat that we're following, can we sync that internal beat up with something else? In this case, it's just the metronome, but then that leads us into, can we sync that up with our bandmate or our orchestra conductor, yeah. you know? And, and so it's really that next step that can take us into that whole world of musical enjoyment that is playing with others. So. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's a whole, it's a whole level of um, yeah, connecting that is, that is really amazing. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, so sometimes as an alternative, I will ask students to play along with a recording because for the most part, the majority of professional recordings are at a good predictable concert tempo and, um, depending on the style of music, of course, right. But certainly in the fiddle music world, um, you can pretty much expect like 90, 95% of the recordings out there are going to be really solid on their rhythm. And it's a great guide and it helps people if they're opposed to that kind of mechanical sense, that kind of, I don't know, uh, medical feeling of like playing along with this beep. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> it can be a little bit more fun just to play along with your favorite band. And, um, and you can even thanks to the, um, the wonders of technology, you can actually even now slow albums down or, you know, move the tempo of your favorite album to your own perfect practice tempo. Um, or even on YouTube, you can you can listen to you find a, a recording um, or a video on YouTube and you can um, slow that down to half speed and play along with it that way. And that will be another alternative as a, a steady guide, um, which is all that we want out of the metronome anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I like both ideas. I mean, there we're also with a, a pre-recorded track, we're also getting other information like pitch and stuff mm -hmm. like that, that we can, that we can stay solid with. It's like, we have to find an inroad somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like playing along with your favorite album is really fun. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I love it. <laughs> and it, sometimes it can even like you're like you're saying, it can be a really helpful way of um, integrating a whole bunch of stuff that's important to a style of music and to your playing and synchronizing um, 
and and kind of developing your musicianship. It's it's a, it can be so much more than just rhythm or tempo. Hey, it's me. I just wanted to catch us up on some of these beautiful little clips we're hearing. The last couple were from a song called Fair Made by the Seashore, and then this last one was from a set of tunes called Lamplighter's Hornpipe and Suffer the Child. This is earlier in that track, so this is the Lamplighter's Hornpipe portion. I hope you're enjoying the interview. Now back to it. I'm wondering as far as pitch goes now, that can also be very difficult and maybe even more overwhelming because it's like, this could be on any of the strings. <laughs> maybe it's even yeah. in a higher position, you know, where is this note? So yep. how do you start to break that down for people that have no idea where this pitch might be? Yeah, so, right. So the very first step, um, like as, as I was saying earlier, the first step is really just talking about pitch relationships with very little pressure, like no pressure at all. There's no, not, you know, it doesn't matter, you know, don't, don't worry about getting the wrong note or the wrong answer. Let's just talk about these pitches and how they see, how they uh, relate to each other. And that is the first step. Then I like to do um, usually two pitches in a row and I, and I have very small parameters. So I won't just have people take a stab at any, any two pitches on the entire piano keyboard, I will say, okay, I'm going to play between middle C and maybe a fifth above that. Right. So we'll just, we just have like, like a five note, five note range or a little bit more. And um, here's two pitches within that range. And that helps it be a lot less stressful <laughs> at the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's just like, it, you know, it, it kind of eliminates all of those extra possibilities that make everything feel so overwhelming. And that's, honestly, pretty common in the fiddle world, too. Once you have a vocabulary of um, fiddle tunes, once you know, it, I guess this is true of any genre, once you know a certain amount of repertoire, you are going to have uh, some context, and you're going to know what to expect out of other new pieces within the same genre. It's just like learning a language, where you like start to you learn all the vocabulary, and then you you start to understand how things fit together and you have some expectations of like, well, this is a more typical note next. So this is a pretty good guess, <laughs> or right. this is a really rare note. That would be really unusual. So I'm not going to guess that first. Right. So, um, so having parameters really helps and it is very true to life, real, real life experience. So I'll have people start listening and then re repeating two notes within certain parameters and then three notes in a row or four pitches in a row. And then we add on to it. And everybody's often people will come into um, either the video series or a live workshop with everyone's at different levels. So some people will be completely stumped right with the very beginning, like, what are these pitches like? conversation and that's um and that's useful to know where you're starting from because you want to do that that more that exercise that was challenging that's what you want to do more of and other people will get all the way up to like six pitches in a row and they're like oh I got this I got this again okay I got this no problem <laughs> so everybody is not you know everybody comes at it, it, it from a different level a personal challenge level and the trick is to find 
where your level is, where your area of challenge is, and then to um, and to really hone in on that and do that in your practice sessions much more. Exactly, and not to just get bummed out thinking, oh, well, that other person is already that far ahead and obviously they're a natural at it. And it's like, well, maybe, maybe, but maybe it's also that (laughs) they just had more experience in some way or they did more active listening along the way or they've been playing for longer or just there's so many things. So I think people just need to start where they're at and know that everyone can get better, right? Exactly. Or maybe they would be saying the same thing about you in, in an area of skill for you, that, that something that you're really good at, right? Like, right. <laughs> I, I always have to laugh. I used to teach, years ago, I taught a beginning fiddle workshop at the Club Pass Team. It's a famous folk club in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Nice. And I would teach beginning, beginning fiddlers, like never touched the instrument before. And they were so hard on themselves. This is all adults. They were so hard on themselves. And and after a few weeks, I, I, in conversation, I asked what all of them did for work outside of this, you know, what do you do outside of this workshop or this class? And it turns out they were all highly uh, skilled, high level achievers. And they were all like, I was, I had like two lawyers and a doctor and a teacher, like all these people that had like, like a lot of of uh, things that they were good at, extremely mm-hmm. good at. And so of course they come into this little workshop and they're like, what, why do I sound so bad? <laughs> <laughs> why aren't I good at this too? And it's, it's, it's easy to kind of get in your own head, mm-hmm. but um, it's important for anybody who's learning literally anything to remember, like everyone is bad at something. <laughs> and probably there's someone out there who's wishing they were good as good at, as you at, at whatever you're good at, you know? Exactly. It's, yeah, I find the adult students, they can be just so hard on themselves. And I do think it's because they have excelled in all these other areas, or they've just had more life experience. So they know exactly what they want to sound like. And then Mm -hmm. when they don't sound like that, (laughs) you know, it's just, it's really disheartening for them. But I mean, everyone kind of sounds bad at the beginning, (laughs) you know, the very first day, like no one really picks it up and sounds amazing. So we have to recognize that it is a difficult instrument and, and there are a lot of things we can find out about ourselves too, just in, in taking that on and being able to be a beginner again, you know, that kind of beginner mindset and enjoying that for what it is, you know. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. I'm always um I'm always encouraging um my students to pretend they're a little kid. You know, like everyone everyone encourages little kids when they learn the most simple things, you know, like, wow, you know, you tied your shoes today or you put on your pants, like way to go. Like these are like <laughs> yeah. really this is really normal to, to to appreciate each small little step that a kid takes and so I'm always encouraging my adult students to do the same thing for themselves. Like, you know, you did a lot already today, just before you even showed up for your lesson, <laughs> just congratulate yourself for that. And then also like, look at you now, like, here you are, you've got your fiddle, you know how to do the bow, you know, like you've got all these, all these things that you're already doing and you gotta, you gotta enjoy those accomplishments, even if they seem insignificant to the adult mind. <laughs> right. It's like, let's go back to that first day when you didn't even know how to hold the bow. You didn't even know how to hold the instrument. <laughs> yeah. And let's see, wow, you came so far already, you know, yep. don't have to think about that right. stuff much anymore at all. 
<laughs> yep, exactly. Yeah. And that's a more fun mindset than like the the opposite when we're like, why aren't I, you know, gosh, why don't I play like this person yet? <laughs> right. <laughs> I know. Which is a losing, it's a losing thought spiral because of course you're your own person. You're never going to play like this other person. <laughs> you're you. <laughs> well, and then that just we don't have your voice in the world then, you know, it's like Mm -hmm. we have a copy of this other person's voice. Like how sad is that too, to not be able to have everyone else experience whatever your unique voice is and, and your flavor of this particular tune or whatever. So these are very, very good reminders. Yes. And just one other question about this section, maybe, is I do have quite a few classical people who listen to the podcast and maybe some of them might be thinking, ah, learning by ear. Yeah, that's stuff that fiddle people do or whatever. So why might learning by ear still be important for people who maybe anticipate mostly, you know, reading off sheet music and stuff for their, for their lives? So there's so many good reasons. I mean, there's, there's on one hand, there is like a physical component of like, you know, you don't necessarily want to have to carry a back breaking load of sheet music with you for the rest of your life to every single place that you go. Right. Right. Like, <laughs> wouldn't it be wonderful to go like to one rehearsal or lesson or, or gig without a gigantic mammoth size of, of, you know, stack of sheet music. Um, so there, that's a, that's a kind of a, a physical practicality, but also it is, um, you know, improving your ears, improving your ability to, to learn by ear and improving your, your ear training skills really, really helps with your ability to participate and respond in an, any ensemble. So, um, most of the time, I mean, there's lots of folks that play solo music, but, um, the majority of, of music that we like to play is um, in ensembles, duets or trios, or quartets or orchestras. And you will be a far, far, far vastly better musician when you are able to hear and respond to the other music that's happening simultaneously. And, and that's basically all of the, exercises that are in um, my learning by ear course are all about listening and responding. And you get into a real habit over the course of the series where you are just eventually you just it's automatic. That's what you're going for is you hear and you respond. And in um, an ensemble context, that's that's what makes ensemble playing so fun and satisfying. You're interacting and creating things together and your ears are pretty much the most important part of that experience. Right. You know, music, music is sound that sense, you know, it's the sensory experience of, of hearing that um, it is really enjoyable uh, about music. And so, um, yeah, you want to hear things and, and interact. It's like being able to have your voice heard essentially within the context of an ensemble.
Well, I definitely encourage everyone to check out your course. Maybe let's just drop a little uh, website link right here. Can you tell us where people can find it? Yes, great question. It's all at lissafiddle.com. So my name, L-I-S-S-A-F-I-D-D-L-E, lissafiddle.com. And um, there's a, a lot of resources there. Um, there's uh, videos and updates on whatever I'm up to, plus um, a store section where people can find the Learning by Ear video course and other other musical goodies. Um, and I'm also doing, um, gosh, I have a, a totally free practice challenge that I'm doing, um, which is really fun. People can sign up for that just, just for a fun, motivating um, thing. Um, we do, we, we did this last year and we're doing it again this year. We're doing a group practice challenge. We're going to practice for a hundred days in a row. And I send out weekly emails with encouragement and practice tips and little learning videos. And, um, it's been really fun so far. So people can jump in on that too, if they'd like to, from my website. Awesome. And is that ongoing or it's starting at a particular time or it's, it's ongoing um, for now, and I've I've started. I'm trying to think. I think today is day 49 for me nice. <laughs> of this of this round. But I also have some people on my mailing list that started the challenge last year and never stopped. Oh, good. So they're on like <laughs> oh my gosh, they're like on day. I don't think it's like 414 or something. Um, yeah. So actually, my son ha- is still going. He started with the initial first challenge last year and he's he's into the 400s now in a row <laughs> so Wonderful! It's, it's really fun it's it's um it's just a way to find um some motivation and companionship and consistency with practicing yes the consistency i always try and stress that you don't have to practice yes. for two hours every single day or whatever you're setting your sights on it's like how about 15 minutes every single day or 30 minutes or whatever and just keep mm-hmm. it going, right? So that sounds like a exactly. great thing that people could could take part in and, and like you said, the camaraderie and feeling like they're a part of something and want to stick with the peers. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, it's motivating to me. Like I know that everyone on my mailing list knows that we are on day 40. You know what I mean? Like they're going to know. I just feel like, you know, having the expectation of telling people about a particular challenge or a goal and then helping, having everyone help each other be accountable is, um, I find it very, very useful. (laughs) Well, let's also talk a little bit about an album you have coming up. I understand next year. Have you started the process of recording yet? Or I understand it sounds like the tunes are all there. You have kind of the layout. What's, what's, where are you at in that process now? Oh, I'm so excited about this project. (laughs) Um, so we are on the cusp. We're just about to go into the recording studio. We have in, in, I think it's two, two weeks, we're going to be in the recording studio. So all the music is written. It's been arranged and I've, um, I've hired, uh, an ensemble of, traditional musicians to show up and play with me in the studio and we're going to spend a week recording and then we'll um you know we'll polish it up and send it off to be duplicated and it should be ready to hear ready to listen to um 
hopefully in the early spring of um, the new year. And these tunes, it's funny, I, I teach fiddle and I'm really embedded in like the social and like the, the social community of, of the fiddle and traditional music world. But I actually haven't free. I haven't actually made a full length album of fiddle music in gosh, almost 10 years. (laughs) (laughs) So I, you know, I just, I have all these different interests. I've been doing all kinds of different things. I've, I've recently, I, you know, a few years ago, I released an album of original songs. It's a little bit more singer songwritery or almost even rock vibe in, in some, some ways. And, um, I had some orchestral string parts just for fun, but um, this is going to be the first fiddle tune album that I've done in a bunch of years. So I'm personally really excited and um, I've, I've written most of the music for it. So um, it's going to be fun. And the, the band is um, a group of musicians that I admire that I've been wanting to hire to, to, to play together um, for years. So Mm. it's all, stuff that I'm super excited about and looking forward to. That's awesome. So this is, so the, the folks you're hiring, they are, they are already a band. And so they're used to working together. Is that right? Or in this case, no. Um, in this case, this is just my kind of my creative brainstorming of like who, you know, who's going to sound really, really great together. Who do I want to like, just, it's like, you know, creative brain, you, you kind of want to stir a bunch of different ingredients into a soup pot and see, see what comes out. Got it. Okay. <laughs> and yeah. So, yeah. So my friend Rochelle Aquin is an amazing uh, traditional piano player from Quebec. And I've taught with her for many years at different camps and played with her informally in many settings. And she's going to be part of the album. She's on every track. And, um, and there's also a bass player, Molly Obamswin, who um, I've played with on and off for years. And um, one of my heroes, Karen Tweed, who's um, an an English accordion player, um, who again, I've taught or met at different camps and she'll be on it. So it's fun. I'm excited about it. How, how are you preparing to go into the studio? Like, are you having rehearsals with them ahead of time or are they coming from far away? It sounds like maybe people are scattered. Yeah, everyone lives pretty far away. Um, and so we are prepping, um, going into the studio. We, you know, there's like a big, um, uh, a, a, you know, an online portal with all of the charts, all the music, all the demos, and we're sending emails back and forth about specific arrangement ideas. Um, Rochelle has been sending me um, some like piano backup ideas that then I can practice on top of and play along with in my practice room, and then I can send along to the bass player so she can prep, and we're all kind of like coordinating ahead of time in that way. I'm giving myself quite the practice schedule as well, because I want to make sure I'm in top shape when the studio doors open. (laughs) So it's actually perfect timing for me to be doing this practice challenge. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say. (laughs) So, and then once we, we are all going to be meeting up, I think we have two or three days of rehearsal in person and then we'll go into the the studio together. Um, So the idea, um, ideally we're all, totally prepped. We know all the repertoire ahead of time and the actual rehearsal will really just be about fine tuning the arrangements and coordinating together, you know, kind of that, that musical coordination. Yeah. And I should say, if people are interested, this album that we're talking about, um, people can pre-order it 
on my website at lissafill.com. We did a big fundraising campaign last month, and if people want to continue to contribute before the album comes out, that would be incredibly helpful. That would go towards, um, you know, put money towards mastering the album and uh, maybe doing some music videos, which I would love to do if, if people want to contribute towards that. Um, we have an ongoing fund on my website to, to pre-order and then help help the recording get made. Awesome. Yeah, it can get so expensive so fast with all of this stuff. And it's so unfortunate with the streaming and all of this. It just can maybe appear to just the average person out there that we're all just whipping out all of this stuff, you know, day to day and it's no big deal, but yeah, it's like thousands and thousands of dollars can go into just even one song. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. It's funny. Whenever I, when I talk about like the, the behind the scenes, like the music, the business part of the music um, to other friends that are not musicians, they are floored when they (laughs) look at the discrepancy say between like how much money you might make from one spot of, Spotify stream, for example, compared to like how much money you invest in making the actual recording <laughs> itself. It's crazy. Um, yeah. <laughs> I know. And even like the CD sales or, you know, whatever we used to be able to enjoy more of. I mean, it's not completely dead, but it's dying. Unfortunately, it seems like even that seemed like a kind of a small compensation sometimes. I mean, unless you got some huge hit or something. But yeah. yeah, for all the time and, and expense that can go into this. So uh, yeah, I've really encouraged people to support you and to support all their favorite musicians out there. It's, it's a challenging kind of landscape out there for recording and now even performing with the pandemic and stuff. How are you maybe finding ways to pivot and still reach fans and, and still get out there? Are you, are you planning to tour once the album is has come out or we are going to do, we'll just do a few select CD release shows. Mm -hmm. Um, at this point, I'm not touring the way I did when I was younger. Um, well, for partly for, well, for a bunch of reasons, partly I I have some health challenges that make it really hard to be on the road all the time. Mm -hmm. And also I have a son who I like to see (laughs) (laughs) and that's important. And you know, when, when, when my kid was little, I used to bring him on the road with me all the time and I would have a babysitter or I'd have maybe my, my dad would come with me and help out with him while I was actually performing. But it wasn't long. I think it was maybe even kindergarten at some point. My son was like, you know what? I really don't want you to take me out of school to go to gigs anymore. I like it here. And I want to just, I don't want to miss out on stuff here. Um, and so I took that to heart and I, I do very little touring now. Maybe that'll change in the future, but I'm super excited to do literally one weekend of shows in New England, and that will be a really fun party. We're going to have a great time. It's going to be the actual band from the recording. We're all going to be there in person, live at the shows, and um, people can people can come to us if they're not in New England. Most <laughs> of the time, I'm doing a lot of well, I guess a lot of a lot of things. I'm doing. I'm doing some teaching online and, of course, um, working on more video courses, um, doing some writing. I do a lot of like music, music writing. People can hire me to write a piece of music about a specific person or occasion or to commemorate an important event in, in, a, in their life or in their family. Um, and so that's, 
another one of the many little things that I do, which I find really fun. And um, it, it can be a really beautiful process to like work with someone to create personalized music just for them. And, and um, that's, that's really fun too. Very personal thing to be doing. Like it, it actually started, I think the first one that I did was not even my idea. It was someone, a fan on my mailing list um, emailed me and they said, geez, you know, there's this thing all these musicians are doing where they can put something, you know, they put it up on their website and you can hire them to write a piece of music. And I was like, oh, that's nice. And I forgot about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then a couple of months later, they emailed me again and they were like, I really want to hire you to write some music. <laughs> and I was like, oh. <laughs> um, and I, and what they sent me, they had a story. There was um, a book. Um, it's been translated into a bunch of languages. It's a book called The Man Who Planted Trees. And it's a really sweet story. And they, they wanted a song about this, this book, this story, and the main character. And so um, I spent gosh, a, a few weeks really working super diligently crafting. I, I probably wrote, I had five different songs I wrote originally as, as different ideas, possible directions to go. And then I, I picked my favorite one and, and edited that one down till it felt like it was polished enough to send, to send off. <laughs> That's really neat. And it's also nice to sometimes get those outside inspirations, I suppose. I mean, we have maybe our inspirations that happen to us as we go through our lives and different things that we feel like we want to express in a melody or in some lyrics or something. But, you know, sometimes it can go, we can go through kind of a dry period too. So imagine having that coming your way as much as possible, hopefully, hopefully some more people will reach out maybe listening to this. But um, yeah, just having that little like injection of new ideas. I think that that would be very nice. I really, I love it. It's really great. And like it, everything, I mean, a writing practice is, is just like, uh, you know, when you practice your instrument, like the more you do it, the, the easier it gets. And the more consistently you can stick with it, the, the better you are at it. So I'm always excited for new, like external motivations to keep working on on skills. <laughs> it's really, it's helpful to me. I, I'm, I'm always more motivated by, by the people around me and by social aspects of my life. So this is just another part of that. you get your start people listening to this and who have maybe never heard of you before hopefully they'll go to your website and check everything out that you're doing but how did you get your start and what drew you to the to the violin oh gosh my parents are big music fans they love music they listen to it all the time and they 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 would have probably loved music lessons when they were kids but they didn't have that opportunity my mom's best friend in college is a, a violinist and fiddler and choral director. And there was one summer when she was visiting us. I think I was, I think I was six, and I had already been asking for a fiddle for for about a year. And my mom had been kind of putting it off because she she didn't know I was pretty young, and she wasn't sure like if how serious I was going to be about it. Um, but 
I kept asking and I kept asking. And then eventually her friend was visiting for the summer and we went and rented a fiddle. And I, that was, that was the beginning. It was so mm. exciting. Her friend gave me my very first lesson and showed me how to hold it. And then when she went home after the visit, my mom found a Suzuki teacher initially. And then when I was eight, um, she found a fiddle teacher specifically. And that was when I really had like a real fire light, I don't know, in my soul <laughs> where mm-hmm. I just was so excited about music. And and that teacher really encouraged us to really kind of like brought us into this whole community Um I grew up in Maine, and so in Maine, in like in the 80s and 90s, and still to to this day, there was just a vibrant um, community of traditional musicians and dancers. And so my fiddle teacher would play at a concert dance every month and invited us and said, oh, yeah, come along, you know, just come. And my whole family would show up and we would dance as, you know, kids, or maybe we would just you know, sit and play or talk to our friends and, um, you know, roll, roll around on the floor, or do whatever kids want to do. And then I also could just sit in the back and play along with the band whenever I wanted. And I learned a lot of tunes that way for years. I just sitting in the back of the band and all these different gig scenarios playing along. And eventually I started playing in more official bands and doing my own gigs and really found music was a a really serious passion. And I guess I also, I should, I should say another huge inspiration. There was that main community of, of traditional musicians. And then I also um, got swept up in a fiddle camp community when I was a kid. I think when I was 12, my my dad and my brother and I, who they they also played fiddle. We all went to Alistair Fraser's Valley of the Moon um, Scottish Fiddling School, which is a week long camp in California, and that was just I don't even know what the what word to use. It was so inspiring, really life changing. <laughs> mm-hmm. And we came home from that week just on fire, like just raring to go. Couldn't, couldn't stop playing music at that point. And like, that was so important to me. I went back to that camp for many years and, um, that was a huge influence on me as well. And, um, so those various communities really inspired me all growing up. And I eventually ended up going to the New England Conservatory in Boston and studied music through, through college and am continuing to do so still going <laughs> <laughs> still going <laughs> that's wonderful yeah small world the, the valley of the moon i live about well probably as the crow flies maybe only five miles from there i've actually never been though but ah. i have had some students who've gone and they have also reported just an amazing time no sleep <laughs> Maybe no sleep for a week, but an amazing time and and a lot of inspiration there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so great. You live live up there. That's awesome. Yeah. And it's so nice that you were able to really get immersed, it sounds like, in these different scenes and and play with professionals, you know, from a young age in the contradance world and all of that. I think that's so important. It really made all the difference for me. I mean, it was fun and it was incredibly um, helpful to my musical development. And it also, it just gives you this whole culture, cultural context that 
the music fits into. It's like, I, I don't think I would have known what music was for otherwise. <laughs> like, oh, right. It's for, for joy and, and socializing and, and getting together and like communicating. And like, I, I get it. Like it was a real important demonstration of all those things. The big picture. Yeah. And then mm -hmm. hopefully that helps, you know, when we're, we have to practice at home by ourselves sometimes and we're feeling like it's hard to get motivated or something. It's like, oh yeah, but if I do this, then I get to go and, and do that, <laughs> which is so much fun. Yep. So that yeah. was a huge motivation for me as a kid. I was like, I'm going to have to practice every day because I know, you know, I'm going to show up at this event and all my friends are going to be there and they're going to be playing these tunes and I'm going to want to play with them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you have a favorite performance memory? Years ago, I got the opportunity to perform at the Shetland Folk Festival. And that was, um, that was really amazing. And because it's a festival, there are all these bands, all these musicians there for that one week coming from all over the world, folk musicians from around the globe. And they're all so good, so, so, so good and inspiring. And, oh, my gosh, that was a real treat, a real honor to perform, mm -hmm. um, both at the festival for all of the people in the audience, but also for all of the other musicians that were just there that same week. Um, and, and I remember actually performing in this big concert hall um, there in the main sort of main town in, in, in Shetland and um, with, with my band and we did this really silly song. Um, my guitarist at the time um, was on at this festival. He was he was missing his son's birthday and he was guilt ridden about it all week. And he was so guilt ridden that he he wrote this song for his son and he convinced every single band he met to sing it. <laughs> and he recorded everyone doing this same song and and then sent this like montage this medley back to his son and at one of our shows in this um, big concert hall, he got the whole audience to, to, to sing it. He taught the whole audience this silly song, like a, you know, like a 10 second ditty and he got everybody singing it and we recorded it. And then we did it in a big medley. And then we like launched into one of our regular, our regular uh, concert uh, medleys, which was, that was, that was really memorable. <laughs> That's so cool. <laughs> Do you have a favorite teaching memory as well? Honestly, there's this thing that happens, if I'm lucky, it happens every so often where a student makes a breakthrough. And that is just, I never get tired of that feeling. And, it, and you know, now at this point, I've, I've taught lots of folks and it's happened for different people with different things, different skills over the years. But it's like, it's like getting bonus candy or something, right? Like when <laughs> yeah. it's like something clicks and you can watch that happen and they get it. And all of a sudden they're so excited and you're so excited. <laughs> it's just like, wow. It's just like, zing. so it's just, that is, there's nothing like it. That's really, really fun. Yeah. It's another plug too, for the benefits of having a teacher. It's like you have that breakthrough and both of you guys are just really jazzed up and it just yep. feels like just the top of the world, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's so interactive. I mean, YouTube yeah. is awesome. I learn a lot of things from YouTube, but um, it's funny. I like, I just started taking voice lessons again for this exact reason. Like I was looking for some new exercise, vocal exercises, and I've had some questions. I looked through YouTube. I looked for lessons on Apple music. And eventually I was like, you know what? 
I'm just going to go back to taking lessons because um, I can ask specific questions and get answers that are specifically tailored to me. And right. it's interactive, and that's awesome. <laughs> so great. Yeah, the tailoring. <laughs> I mean, we forget that, you know. It's like mm-hmm. there are so many exercises we could probably do, but then are they really the most beneficial for us where we are right now today in this very moment, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And everybody's so different. Like everyone, if you're talking about an instrument, playing an instrument, you know, your body is different. Your instrument has subtle differences from someone else's and your musical creative impulses are going to be different from anyone else's. So yeah, there's a lot of subtlety in in tailoring something for someone specific. So what helps you stay motivated, especially after a setback, which we all experience small and and sometimes unfortunately larger setbacks, but what helps you stay going and coming back to doing music? I guess it's a, it's a couple of things. Um, I, I, at this point have faith in the power of routine because it's helped me so many times in the past. And that is important and crucial because I do have a lot of setbacks. And for me, there are sometimes musical setbacks, but for me personally, the setbacks are more like emotional because um, I have struggles with health and I have struggles with depression. And so there are definitely times when I've had like a physical setback that is really challenging and that will um, just, I'll lose all my motivation and I'll mm-hmm. just, you know, I won't want to do anything. And so I have to force myself into like one of my, into doing one of my, just my most basic regular routines. And sometimes it's like, okay, I know you don't feel like it, but I know you're going to feel better. And that's what I mean about faith. It's like, I, at this point, I have faith in the things that I know have made me feel better in the past. And, um, and so, you know, I kind of forced myself to open up the case and get it out. And then I'll just like, okay, you just got to play a scale, <laughs> just play a scale. Usually can play a lot more than that. You know, once you get going, you get, you know, you get a couple of scales in and then you're like, okay, I'm going to play a simple tune and just play, play something simple and sweet and enjoyable. And then the music starts to take over and, and that, and that carries me, carries me away. Again, yeah, this kind of theme we're having here of breaking things down to just a small piece. I'll even, you know, sometimes I will, I'll do little musical treats for myself. Let's say I'm not, I'm not motivated or in the mood to, to practice on a particular day. I'll say, okay, you know what, just today for today, you're going to do a treat and you're going to play along with your favorite album. That's all you have to do. <laughs> just going to play along <laughs> with the first four tracks of like your favorite music in the entire world. And and that will 100% cheer me up and make me happy to have my instrument out of the case. And that will often inspire me to actually start working on things more in a more focused way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's so much about the motivation. I mean, even just having the instrument in the case can be a deterrent, right? <laughs> yes. It's like it's having so the instrument maybe hanging on the wall that. or someplace safe, or at least you can just see it. And it's like, okay, let's just yeah. play a few notes, you know? Yep. A lot of people swear by that. They just have their instrument hanging where it's easy to just grab and play. <laughs> yep. Speaking of your violin, um, can you tell us a little bit about it? I understand it's, it's made by a, a living maker. Is that right? Yeah. So um, my friend Bob Childs made my violin and he is an old family friend. Actually, we met him through my, my 
fiddle teacher that I was mentioning so when, from when I was a kid. He's a friend of his. Um, Bob Childs has made some beautiful instruments and actually has made so many that for many years there was a band called Child's Play. Um, where everyone, all the fiddlers in this band, it was a big fiddle orchestra, and everyone played an instrument made by Bob Childs. And um, it was, it's a fun concept and, and really cool when you actually hear the sonic qualities of, you know, instruments have such interesting personalities. And when you hear a, a group of, of instruments made by the same maker, there really is a familial quality about them. Yeah, yeah. this sounds amazing, <laughs> this group Child's Play, and it just reminds me of now people finding these, you know, different Stradivari instruments and in like a quartet of Stradivari instruments and kind of that similar, mm-hmm. like, like you're saying, familial sound. And uh, yeah, we'll have to, I'm sure there's some some videos out there of Child's Play, right? We can all go oh, yeah. and check oh, them yeah. out. Yeah, that sounds really yeah. fun yeah. to hear that. Well, thanks again, and we wish you all the best for this album, and we hope that people will check out the Learning by Ear course and be ready for maybe next summer and Valley of the Moon or (laughs) the fiddle camps out there. I know you have a lot up in New England. Thank you so much for having me. This has been really fun. You're welcome. It's been a pleasure. When my baby smiles, the sun is shining. When my baby smiles, when my baby smiles, the sun is shining. When my baby smiles, when my baby smiles, ooh, I know he's my child. When my baby smiles, I give him all my again to Lisa Schneckenberger for sharing her wisdom, her experience, and her songs with us. I hope you'll check out everything that she's up to over at lissafiddle.com. That's L-I-S-S-A-F-I-D-D-L-E, lissafiddle.com. I will have links to everything we talked about in the show notes. And this last song, by the way, that you were hearing is a song called When My Baby Cries. And I'll have links to those songs that we shared as well, so you can go and check them out. And I hope you'll check out all of her albums. I appreciated a few reminders along the way in particular. I really liked Lissa's reminder that we should slow down and break things into smaller pieces and then work towards a feeling that satisfies us before moving on. I think that word satisfaction or being satisfied. I really liked that because oftentimes, like we talked about, we're pushing, 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 and we forget to enjoy the moment, enjoy that we just got through a run of a passage that we've never been able to tackle before. And oftentimes we just dive in again, and then sometimes we crash and burn. And if we maybe just take a moment to pat ourselves on the back and enjoy that moment, yay, I got it. And then maybe to reflect on what did I do differently just now before we then try another attempt, we might be in better shape and we might still crash and burn. (laughs) That happens a lot too along the way, but it's always worth a shot. And it's good to have those moments where we can just enjoy how far we've come. I also liked her idea of pretending 
to be a little kid when you're tackling something like a musical instrument or, or maybe a new piece and just appreciating that every step along the way is kind of monumental. It really is. Just like she said, when a little kid ties their shoes for the first time, it's like all the adults around are so excited. And we can forget to feed ourselves with that same excitement once we reach adulthood. And I also liked how she reminded us about how everyone has a different set of skills and challenges and how thankfully we can all strengthen the challenging elements. We just have to figure out what they are and not hide from them, but really go deeper into them. And then I also liked that she reminded us about the value of finding a teacher or a coach. That is something that is such a helpful relationship. It's not just about the learning, the learning piece of it. We could probably learn most things at this point from YouTube or a book, but really having that information tailored to us and that feedback that we can get from someone watching and hearing us in real time is so valuable. So thank you, Lissa, for sharing all of this with us and more. Again, check her out at lissafiddle.com. And again, I'm Laurel Thompson, and I thank you for listening and hopefully enjoying the Violin Geek podcast. If you'd like to head over to my website and check out other things that I'm doing, including the Violin Geek blog, my teaching, my performances, and my recordings, you can head to laurelthompson.com. That's L-A-U-R-E-L. T-H-O-M-S-E-N, laurelthompson.com. I'll have that link as always in the show notes. As far as the blog goes, since the last episode, I did put out kind of an interesting post about our standard tuning system, which calls A440. It's how many hertz of A is cycling per second and how that is nothing too special actually. There are other A's, quote unquote, out there that we could also be tuning to. And it was interesting to dive into that history. I have a photo there of one of the early machines for tuning, if we can call it a machine in this age of very high-tech machines. But it was an interesting post to research and to share. And I have some clips there of some different versions of a Vivaldi concerto played with a different tuning system. And it's just, it's really fascinating and it is very helpful to know about as we might be playing along or trying to play along as Lissa was talking about with different recordings and we need to be tuned up. And there's that post along with many, many more. This will be the last podcast of the year. So I hope everyone's 2022 wraps up in a really sweet way. I'll look forward to seeing you next year. Please reach out to me if you have any comments, questions, or suggestions, particularly if you have any suggestions for a show or a blog. Maybe you have a technique question that you just are chewing on and you want my take on it, or you have someone you'd like me to interview. I'd love to have your suggestions. It really helps to keep me going knowing that I'm putting out something that some special person is really looking forward to. So thank you for those. I also appreciate your ratings and reviews wherever you listen to this podcast. It does help the visibility and it helps other people find the show as well as, of course, sharing the show with those you love. So happy holidays and until next time, happy practicing. When my baby 
life, say go to Hagen Town.